Um, okay, so welcome. My name is Melody. I'm one of the pastors here, if we have not met. And here at New Song, we believe in so many things, and we pray and hope that our mission is carried out. Our mission's right here, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, follow Jesus, love people, and do good. And we pray that the things we do carry that mission forward. If it doesn't match up with the mission, if it doesn't match up with that purpose, then you know, we think about it, like, do we need to do this? And we feel like, yes, the things that we put our time and effort in are those things that are going to transform us, remind us that we are following Jesus, we love people and do good. And so one way that I saw loving and doing good and just being with people this week was the fall fashion flip with the women. Now, if you are wearing something from that day, I would ask that you stand up really quick. Come on, come on, look at us. Look at us. We have everything from a little, uh, a beautiful top here to a dress to even a Halloween costume. Stand up, Claire. Let's see. There's her Halloween costume. Love it. Um, and t my outfit today also sponsored by someone in the room. And I don't know about you, but when I see it on someone else, like today, that's my shirt, Barb. And where's Sonia? Sonia's back there. That's my shirt. Um, I've spotted it on you guys. And I'm like, man, that looks good on them. Like that shirt was meant for them. Julie's wearing my dress. I love it. I love it. So ladies, I would encourage you, if you see something, someone wearing your stuff, to, whose is this? Who's is this? Monica's. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for sponsoring my outfit today. Who's is it? Oh, Grant. <laughs> I forgot to send Electra the picture of Grant. Grant was in here uh, checking out the merchandise super early in the day. Um, but it was so fun. Yes, ladies? Yes. And it was so fun just to have ladies middle school age on up and just saying hey I think this would look better on you than me or hey that color looks awesome on you Kate Keeley told me this she's like oh my gosh Melly, that color green on you and I never wear green and I was like oh does it then everything I want now has to be green so she said it makes my eyes pop so anyway, so it was so fun. Thank you so much for, uh, if you came, if you donated clothes, um, for the cleanup, the setup, everything. It was such a beautiful, um, just time to celebrate together. Another time that we are able to get together starting this week on specific Tuesdays. So this, this Tuesday at 2.30, we will have tea time with the ladies. So if you happen to be available at this hour, ladies, please join me for tea. Um, there will be uh, a little setup in the other room across the way. And so I'm really hoping that we get some ladies down there for that this week at 2.30. And then the big, big thing that I want everyone to mark in our calendars is the morning of October 28th, we are having coffee and costumes in the courtyard. So do you have to have a costume? No. Do you have to drink coffee? No. But we want you there. We want everybody there from our community here. Uh, this is a time where we're also going to invite our pantry guests. We're going to invite folks from... Uh, Charter Oak. We're going to invite folks from San Dimas Retirement Center. So this is one of those things that we put together and we say, hey, new song, show up. 
Okay? So here I'm telling you, let's show up for this. Yes? Look at half of you are like, mm, I don't know. Again, we do things with a mission and a vision and a purpose. Do we have to do this? No. But then can we say that stuff? I don't know. You know, sure, we have ministries, we have the pantry, we have the garden, we have this and that. And yes, all those things carry that stuff out. But stuff that we do like this, extra, maybe a little more effort stuff, we have to show up for. We have to show up for it and we have to put effort in because we are a community. Remember I said that when I preached on community? I said we're in community in the good, we're community in the bad, and we're a community just all the time. So please mark your calendars. It is maybe a little more longer than an hour, but uh, we're going to be there having coffee. There'll be a little photo booth up. Uh, there's also prizes, first, second, and third place for your costumes, okay? So let that be a motivator. That's right, Lily. She said, ooh. <laughs> all right, so please come to that. Be there. Thank you, Alva. Alva, uh-oh. I had a I had a flash forward of all the ways I can use that voice right now during the service, so... All right, shall we pray as we continue our gathering this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for just this time to share some excitement and um, just celebrate the things we have done in the week and um, pray for the things that are coming up, Lord. Lord, I pray that your hand is on every single one of those things. Lord, I pray that as we move forward in our gathering, Lord, would you bless Grant and... um, Thank you for the words that he will speak that you have inspired him with today, God. Thank you for um, his excitement and his personality and even his accent, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, thank you for um, the worship team and the sound team and the coffee setup team and the popcorn, Lord. Thank you for all of that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome up Grant. Amen. Thanks, Melody. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? I'm feeling great this morning. Great. Uh, maybe because I cycled to work for the past two weeks, got some, um, some energy, some pep, right? Um, but also, I got a really wonderful gift this morning from Abby Astadio, and I just want to show it to you. Where's Abby? I'm not embarrassing you, am I? Abby made for some of us a little sticker, Summer of Love. Jesus loves me, this I know, a little sticker. And I'm going to put this on my water bottle so that I remember what we talked about in the summer and also remember Abby and all the amazing young people that we have at New Song. Thanks, Abby. Appreciate it. So today, um, as Melody mentioned, if you've been paying attention to the events of the world, and maybe just the events of your community. You know, I know a lot of us are on Facebook, San Dimas Buzz, Kavina Buzz, Next Door, all these different things. Um, we can definitely comment that we are in challenging times. It's kind of weird through the pandemic, this sort of sense of relief when that seemed to be passing. And, and then a whole bunch of other events said, hold my beer, you know, in that saying. I'll show you how bad it can get. It's, it's difficult. Um, and we can't deny it. We can't just pretend that everything is okay. Um, but I remain convinced that the more challenging the times that we live in, the more fruitful and impactful will be 
Just the simple, faithful lives of God's people wherever they are planted. The darker the darkness, I believe the brighter the light will shine. It doesn't mean we we do more necessarily, but what we do faithfully in Christ's name will stand out, will be more obvious to our neighbors and to our world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But if we are perfectly honest, as I like to be, I try to be, it's not easy. Because we, regardless of our spiritual beliefs and the faith that we claim are human beings just like everyone else who are caught up in cycles of destruction and pain and sorrow and loneliness and anxiety and addiction and all the other stuff that that human beings find themselves involved with. We are prone to all the same worries and anxieties and diseases and accidents and losses and failures. And we're all getting older. And we always have to think about the reality that one day we will leave this earth and step into something, leaving behind all that we have loved and step into somewhat the unknown. I think one of the greatest books about, things about the book of Hebrews that we're studying right now is that the author of Hebrews always includes themselves in the, both the warnings and the promises and encouragements that he is writing. This is never a word from a distant place. This may be the word of God to us, but it is not a word from a far remote distance. It is a word from Jesus, God with us, the one who is tempted and tried on this very earth in every way like us. And it is a word from the author, a fellow traveler on the difficult road of faith. And I think that's really important because there's many people who pontificate from a safe place about what we should do. But what we want is someone who's in the ring with us, sharing encouragement, challenges, and promises. And I think that's really important. I think about it every time I come up here to prepare a message and then come up here to, to share it, that we are the same. And like you, I wish that we could just have one Sunday morning when all of our questions are answered, all of our problems are solved, and all of our pains are relieved. I feel tremendously burdened by all the conflict and seemingly unsolvable problems around our world. And not only that, but those right on our doorstep, there's an 11-year-old kid who ran away this morning and is now somewhere in this area alone. It's just one more step in his painful journey of life at a young age. And the writer feels exactly the same way. His heart is on his sleeve. He's also concerned. He and his friends are getting weary. They're facing all kinds of pressures to give up the good fight of faith. My hope and prayer is that by the end of this message, we each will have in our current possession a more accurate understanding of faith, a deeper joy derived from our faith, and some practical direction and purpose as we embrace our faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we are, only three little verses, 
but there's a lot in there, so I hope you packed a lunch. <laughs> Kidding. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. The elders in the past were approved because they showed faith. By faith, we understand that the universe has been created by a word from God so that the visible came into existence from the invisible. This section introduces the concept of faith as a reality, the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we do not see currently. Perhaps before delving into what the writer might tell us about faith, let's think about a few things that are perhaps only partially true or really misleading about faith. There are a lot of ideas in our world and our culture of what faith might mean. And here are some of them. Number first one, faith as a ticket to heaven. It's a one-time exercise of the will to get a ticket to heaven. It just happens one time. I put my faith in God that day when Billy Graham said, come on down. And I came on down. Nothing's really changed, but I had faith that day, so all is well. The author definitely doesn't believe that that is faith. Or faith in faith. Faith as being something that I can accumulate, that I can manage, that I can use. A tool of some kind. Faith as a power to wield. This is quite common, even in the Christian world, some traditions, that God is duty-bound to obey the laws of faith. These are laws written into the fabric of creation, and God cannot but obey them. If I can really muster up enough of it and say the correct words, God will act. I can make things happen like a magician. Like name it and claim it is the saying. Blab it and grab it. I like that one better. Just blab it and grab it. Which leads to this one, faith as positive thinking. I have faith in the benevolence of the universe and I will positively manifest that which I want. I attract to myself that which I most often believe will happen and speak out as positive that will happen. Just have faith, we're told, as if we can just muster it up from inside and it will shall come to pass. I'd say that anyone who thinks that happens is a recipient of the common grace of God in this world because good things do happen. Next one, faith is wishful thinking. Pie in the sky, daydreaming, optimism, despite evidence to the contrary. You've met people like that. Sometimes I feel a need to be like that. I'm just optimistic. I have faith, it's good. It's the shallowest thing. It denies all the reality of the human existence and the human condition. Optimism. And then finally, faith is an expression of human weakness and a need for certainty. Karl Marx, famous kind of founder of a communist kind of viewpoint, said religion is the opiate of the people. Religion is the opiate of the people. It's something to drug us and make us passive. That religion was constructed solely to, for people to calm their uncertainty over their lack of control in the universe. We just entrust it to a God and a heaven that's coming one day. Therefore, we can be treated poorly on this earth because we have a promised reward one day. And people, of course, do use it that way, but it's not accurate and it's not faithful. So what does the author mean by faith then? Well, I've been reading this text a lot in the past week or two, and I find when I read it, I feel uneasy about the terms that the author uses to describe faith, because there's a kind of a jarring clash between these words. He says, faith is the reality of our hope. Reality, hope. You feel the tension between these two words? 
reality, hope. And then he says, faith is the proof of what is unseen. Proof, unseen. This is a challenge to come at this text in the early 21st century as people who are thoroughly embedded in the secular materialistic understanding of our world. What I see, my senses, what I touch, what I can prove. Reality, we think, is entirely that which is available to our senses and nothing more. If we can't see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, hear it, whatever, it's not real. Proof can only be provided by material observation, repeatable and quantifiable. That's proof. How can faith be proof? How can faith be reality? Let's explore this text and take these words at face value. Faith, the author says, is the reality, the real thing of what we hope for. So we might ask a question, what do we hope for? What do we hope for? If we simply sit with ourselves and evaluate our lives, what are our deepest hopes? For me, I hope that my sister Gaynor is safe and that her life of pain was not meaningless. And I hope that all those whom I love who are grieving will be comforted. I hope that there might be justice for all those who have been victims of exploitation and cruelty. I hope that the war that destroys my neighbor's peace and their ability to prosper, to raise their children, to enjoy community, the war that destroys it might finally be ended. What is it that you most dearly long for? I think we all exercise faith in areas of life for which we have hope. We already do this. Despite the fact that the future is unknown to us, we do many things and have a sense of reality about many things where the hope has not yet come to pass or been satisfied. Saving for retirement. We hope that one day we will enjoy the fruits of our savings. There's a reality. We act in accordance to the hope that we have that one day we will lay down our tools and we will pick up our hammock and walk. Well, actually, we'll pick up our hammock and lie down. But then I've been told, don't do that, because that's when the end comes. You've got to keep moving, right? Or loving and nurturing our children. We don't know. There's an unpredictable nature about child rearing, but yet we still act in a sense of faithful action according to what we hope to see, even though that has not yet come to pass, and what comes to pass is not yet known to us. I'd say also to the students here, the young folks, you have some hope of college or career or a relationship, whatever it might be, and in your life you enact faithful actions which create this reality for you that this is something you can hope for despite not knowing what that might look like. And I think in this case, what we're talking about here is hope, but merely a hint of the hope that this 
author is talking about. And I want to say that the hopes I just talked about are hope with a small H. I hope to go to college. I hope that my kids will find a satisfactory career, etc., be safe. I hope that I will reach retirement age. And that hope is a shadow of something greater. It is a symptom of a greater hope. But there is hope with a capital H, which is what the author's talking about here, which is the reality toward which all of our hopes point us. They all come from the same place of hope in the human spirit. But this is the reality, and it's the cure. If you remember, in the Summer of Love series, we talked about, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my longings tell me so. And I shared a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, where he said, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The author wants us to know that we have these hopes and they are true and they are real and they point to a real satisfaction of those hopes that God has placed this longing, the desire in us, our hopes for peace, for comfort, for satisfaction, justice, love, and joy are true. And our faithful action, they are real. It is real and it points to the reality of our faith and our hope. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer wrote these words in chapter six, because it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. It's interesting that the word that the author uses for reality, the faith is the reality of that for which we hope, is the exact same word that the author uses right at the beginning of his, his writing when he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, exactly the same word, the exact reality of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That is reality. Our faith is the reality of that for which we hope. Despite us not being yet there, we have not yet achieved or received that for which we hope. Our faith shows it in this world. Our faith is the road solid beneath our feet along which we travel to arrive at the destination that is promised by our hopes. Our faith is like the prayerful vigil through the night which is broken by the dawn as the sun rises in the sky. The sun was always there. It was merely obscured for a time below the horizon. But we trust that it's coming. It is reality. Our faith is real. And our hopes and our longings testify that to us. 
What else do we learn about faith? The second thing the author says is faith is the reality. Well, faith is the reality of what we hope for. It's the proof of what we don't see. Another strange phrase. It's the proof of what we don't see. How do we prove a thing? How would you prove something? Any thoughts? By its result? Okay. I mean, the classic example is, how would I prove that that chair is, would support my weight? I would sit on it, right? We prove something through trust and action in response to that trust and then experience as a result of that trust and action. Some of you know, a couple of years ago, I bought myself an electric bike. Just going to pause for a minute and look at your faces. Because every time I tell someone that, especially sporty types, they all have the same sort of reaction. And by their demeanor, I can tell that they have a picture of me sitting inactive on the bike as the motor takes me to my destination, <laughs> sweatless. And I must admit that I have the same bias, because just the other day with Keith, my friend Keith here, and Lanny, who's away camping this weekend, we went around Benelli Park, and I was walking along, and I saw these two a uh, beautiful couple whizzing along on entirely motorized little scooters, and I judged them because we were walking in our hiking boots. But I want to tell you something. I've told, that's why I always say, the next thing I always say, but it's only pedal, it's power assisted. It's not, you can't, there's no throttle. I can't just sit on a drive. You've got to pedal or you don't get the battery to work. You can sit there all you want and you'll simply fall over and skin your knee or your elbow, whatever. And I cycled the past two weeks, like I said, every day pretty much I've cycled to work. I was gonna cycle this morning, but my daughter took pity on me and gave me a ride in. She's like, really? Um, but I've been doing that, and, and, and so what I need to do is I need to, I to put my activity, my energy to activate the power to move forward. The, pr the power meets me as I act, as I trust that this is going to work, and I put some effort, motion, activity, the power that meets me. And there's a proof. I don't understand how this power works. I don't understand anything about this battery cell electricity. And, and actually, you can get right down to some of the specialty understanding about electricity, but no one really fully understands everything about it. I don't really see it. But the fact that I put my trust in it causes me to experience the proof that it will empower me, it will move me. That is how we discover that our faith is the proof of things unseen. <clears throat> There's a story in the Old Testament of the people of Israel crossing a river. And no, not the one that you famously think of that's depicted in all the movies with Charlton Heston with his big stick and his big beard. By the way, someone the other day said to me I looked like Steven Spielberg. I was feeling good about that. Um... Which, we'll make, which actually, in a minute, we'll talk about him. Um, but there's several, there's actually four or five water crossings in the Old Testament, people crossing rivers. And one of them is uh, when the, the, the Moses says to the, to the priests, or maybe it's, I think it's Joshua, says that God has said, when you put your feet in the water, the water will let you pass. Not wait here, wait till it stops, then cross the road, like you're supposed to do at crosswalks here. Stick your foot in the water, and it will stop. And that's exactly what happens. 
the priests step out in faith because God has spoken his word and the water stops. And then the priests actually stop with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river until all the people have passed. They stand in harm's way because they trust in the power of God because he has spoken and they've seen the proof. There's a really great film. It's so funny this morning, I was, I was, gonna, I was talking about this film. It's by Indiana, an Indiana Jones movie, right? And uh, so I keep myself humble. And I said something, I, I, they were arguing about which film this clip is from, which I'm gonna show you in a minute. And I was convinced it was this one. Everyone else in the room was convinced it was a different film. I thought it was uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's actually The Last Crusade. And, uh, and I was getting kind of cocky. I say, well, I'll say it in the service, you know, like, if you don't know what film it's from, then, you know, boo-hoo for you. So they're all laughing at me, like, because I was dumb, I didn't know. But this is, this is a really amazing clip. You've probably seen it, Last Crusade. Indiana Jones, they found the Ark of the Covenant. This next film, he's trying to find the Holy Grail that people have searched for for millennia, for generations. And there's a fantastic uh, moment. I'm just going to play the clip. But he, his friends are in danger. There's a time limit. He's got to pass through these different tests and get to the cup. Let's just play the clip. It's a powerful point, doesn't it? <clears throat> a leap of faith, a step of faith meets the solid ground. You know, this, this whole book is about the promises of God, a God who cannot lie. Trust me, he says, step out. Our faith in action is proof of what is currently unseen. And it's as we step out in faith that we discover the faithfulness, strength, and commitment, and love of God. Doesn't always turn out how we think it's going to turn out, but he is faithful. And uh, it's interesting, in that clip, the next thing he does is when he gets to the other side, he gets some sand and he kind of throws it across the bridge, right? So it now is visible for anyone who's following him. And that kind of leads me to the next point. We've talked about the reality of faith. We've talked about the proof of faith. And the next thing the author gives us is the example of faith. Examples. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3, verse 
2 says, the elders in the past were approved because they showed faith. The elders of the past. Where these three verses introduce this huge section, which we're going to cover next week, <clears throat> um, next Sunday, about what is known as, commonly known as the Hall of Faith. And it's a list of men and women who trusted God with their lives, despite sometimes not in gaining what it was that they trusted in, but they waited and they hoped and they trusted and they were just integral parts of the work of God throughout the generations. And this is just a short introductory mention. It says that they were approved. Approved by whom? Well, approved by God. And actually the word for approved, it could also be shared as the word testimony, that God testified about them. Their names are recorded. Why did God testify about these people who lived out their faith? Because they had faith? That's not what it says. Because they shared their faith or kept the faith? No, because they showed faith. They showed faith. And we're going to hear next week about Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Rahab, who was a prostitute in the Old Testament. One of the last people, according to all of the purity laws of the Old Testament, you would think God would testify and witness to as a faithful person. But she acted out of a trust in the word of God and she, she acted and responded correspondingly and things happened that were good. We talked about Samson last week, if you remember. Samson, who was very presumptuous about all of the ways that his power was given to him by God. He could do anything. Nothing could stop him. He'd get in a sticky situation and just fight himself out of it. And he was proud of that because God was with him. But he became weak. He became a captive. His eyesight was taken from him. He was chained because, as I said, sin will take you further than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you there longer than you wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you were willing to pay. And Samson found himself in that place. But there's an amazing bit in chapter 16 where Samson, it says, pray to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me, please. God, strengthen me just one more. He prayed from that place. And Samson's going to be mentioned in this list of people who experienced, who gave faith. And God testifies to them. You've known people like that. We could add names to the list. I know I have. I've known people who, for everything humanly perceived, would tell me that they should give up or fight back or whatever it might look. And I've seen faithful men and women continue with tears in their eyes, perhaps, and a back bowed down to walk forward in faith because they trust in the God who is faithful. And I have seen their path. I've seen their witness, their example. So we've got the reality of faith, the proof of faith, the example of faith, and finally, a response. And a question I want to ask as we think about responding is, why is faith so important here on the earth? This kind of faith. And we are given the answer in the final part of this three verses. The reason it's important is because all of this, you, me, everything that exists is God's creation. And faith recognizes that fact and acts according to that truth. 
The writer says, by faith we understand that the universe has been created by a word from God so that the visible came into existence from the invisible. This is God's world. So the first and foundational act of faith is to affirm that God is the creator. And he is not only the creator, he is the lover of what he has created. He's also the judge of the wickedness and cruelty and darkness that is present in this world, but he is also the redeemer of all that he has created, and he one day will recreate. There's a really hymn that I love, written by Malt B. D. Babcock in 1901, which maybe we'll sing sometime. And this is an affirmation of faith. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. We long, we hope for good things. Our faith shows the reality of what is to come and what we don't currently experience. Our action from our faith prove our faith. God is faithful. And it just remains for us to trust and obey, as the other hymn says. But not only that, this is my father's world. It is his. Martin Luther King Jr. in one of his speeches said this, evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. A pastor that I really respect, and you, you've maybe read his books or heard his sermons, his name's Tim Keller, who's a pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City. Uh, he died this year, he passed away, he had pancreatic cancer. Um, one of the most hopeful things I've ever heard, especially during my own time of struggling with mortality and grief. You know, and some people, when they talk on their time toward the end, it can be kind of this triumphant, victorious thing, but his words were just so simple, heartfelt, and honest. And he really, it was one of his last interviews. He said, I am not, I am not afraid to die. He said, Christ is risen, so I have nothing to worry about. Christ has risen, I have nothing to worry about. He said, I don't worry about my church, I don't worry about my family, I don't worry about my wife, because at the foundation and the center of all that is real and all that is true is that Christ is risen. We have nothing to worry about. Will you say that with me? We're going to say, Christ is risen. I have nothing to worry about. 
Christ is risen. I have nothing to worry about. It's hard to say though, isn't it? Because when you finish saying that, you start thinking about the bills. You start thinking about the student loans that are now being repaid again, which I've been working on for myself. You start thinking about, right? Faith, you know, the, the, the threats to faith is like gravity. That's why we gather. That's why. Even were I not to be professionally you know, working as a pastor, I would come and be faithful with my brothers and sisters every day. Because like I said, when I was in Scotland, I felt the gravitational pull of life and worry and anxiety. But when I come back and I'm with Sandy's Retirement Center in the memory care unit singing, I'll fly away. Jesus loves me. Amazing grace. Great is thy faithfulness. How great thou art. I feel my faith restored to me by this cloud of witnesses. We need one another. We're going to come to communion now. And that's all we always say. How wonderful that we do this every week. And one reason why I believe it's so wonderful is because no matter where we go in God's word, no matter where we are in life, what we're facing, what we're coming out of or heading into, this is appropriate, applicable, and necessary for us. Because it involves this relationship with God, but never as an individual, but always with the body of Christ, with our brothers and our sisters. This is what unites us. We come around this table and all are welcome. All who would decide to say, I am tired of the struggle and the fight. I may not have much faith, but I I want to follow you, Lord. I want to know you. My life is yours. You know, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, it's such a beautiful picture of faith because it was faith built on the promises of God in the past. He was a Jewish man. He was sitting down at the Passover meal, recalling the promises God had made prior to the exodus from Egypt that God had seen the suffering of his people and he was going to come and he was going to set them free. And they were celebrating this incredible salvation But also, Jesus at that point then was sharing with his disciples the ongoing story of which he was now the conduit, the sacrificial, perfect lamb of God who would lay down his life for his friends. And he took the bread and he took the cup and said, this is for you, take this. That was a reality of hope. He said it because it was true. They took it because they trusted him. And when they had taken it, they saw the proof as things transpired. And here today, we are the proof that their faith was well-founded. For any of us who have met Jesus and have experienced, are experiencing that walk, we are the proof of the well-founded nature of their faith then. And we are that for the next generation. And Christ will return. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. We hope we act. We're going to take some time now for communion. There's a station at the back. There's a station at the front. Melody will come up here. And just take your time. Come and keep a piece of bread and a cup. And then we'll hold them and take them together in just a moment. You know, there's a lot of meaning to what we do how we do this. You know, we decided to do this every week. 
in obedience when he said, whenever you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And it takes a little time, right? Could get old, you know, but, you know, we do it as a faithful act. Not all faithful acts are, you know, always new and novel and there's something powerful. We've been, people have been doing this for so long in remembrance. And we do it with people all around the world, whether in our time zone or in another time zone. Some Christians in Gaza and the Middle East and in Israel are doing this today with the sound of explosions in the distance. You know, this unites us with all of our brothers and sisters, wherever they are. And we do this also on behalf of the world. We testify even to the powers of darkness that Christ is greater, Christ is risen, Christ has defeated death, and we are his people. And the fact that you come up and are given it rather than receive it is also important. This is a gift from God. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is for you. Let's take the bread. And the same way after supper, he took a cup and he passed it to his friends. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. And I will not drink the fruit of the vine again with you until I drink it again in my Father's kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith. And thank you that it is founded on the strength and faithfulness of you yourself. Uh, all of your acts of salvation were prior to, to our lives. And they continue to flood into our world. You are not excluded. And Lord Jesus, we invite you into our lives. Show us today a faithful step Help us to put our feet on the path with trust and joy. Thank you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.